0: This is Fireproof Your Retirement with Michael J. Markey Jr. Fireproof Your Retirement is 30 minutes of real questions, real concepts, and real answers. Michael's passion is to teach listeners the same thing he's taught clients and prospects, how to take control of their money. It's been this philosophy which has garnished Michael and his firm Legacy Financial Network national attention. In 2010, AM Best featured them as one of the top 10 most innovative agencies in the country. In 2014, Insurance Newsnet magazine featured Michael as a local celebrity and life health pro, named him hero of the insurance industry. Michael's even been given the Moving America Forward Award by William
1: Shatner. Now here's your host, Michael J. Markey Jr. Alright, and welcome everyone. I want to thank you for joining us again today. It's truly a pleasure. Remember, this is the show where the only blanket statement that we like is that we don't like blanket statements. And our goal, and it always sounds weird when we say this, but for a lot of you new listeners, it's probably starting to sound maybe a little bit more normal. So we thank everyone from WLDN 98.7 up there in Ludington, WJRW, 1340 AM here in Grand Rapids. And of course, our flagship here, WFUR 102.9 FM. Thank you, everyone. But this is the show. Our goal is to change your life. Change your life by changing the way you look at money. And I know that's a lofty goal and it sounds odd, but we want to change the way you look at money because we want to put a purpose to it. See, money, as we keep saying, has no meaning. If money had meaning, people on their deathbed would share with family, friends, loved ones, how fulfilled their love or life has been because of how large their investments had grown to. So we know no one says that because money doesn't have meaning, but it does have purpose, and its purpose is to give or to spend. So that's what we want to help people with. The reality is this. People in general aren't good with money. Our office manager was talking to me the other day, and she was we were talking about the Jetsons and how futuristic the Jetsons seemed 40, 50 years ago but how many, how much of that technology has now come to fruition and one of the things that I was thinking while watching and thinking of the Jetsons because my kids still watch the Jetsons, they love it and it's pretty inexpensive to buy on DVD but if you watch the Jetsons how many times can you remember them fighting about money? How many times do you remember them worrying about money? or other families worrying about money. And you gotta remember, they weren't a high-class family, they weren't white-collar. I guess maybe, kinda sorta, he was a lower-level entry job, always promised the next vice-president position, and every time he got it, something happened, messed up, and he was demoted. They didn't fight about money because they viewed it differently. Back then, prior to us creating the 401k, and not that a 401k is bad, but prior to a 401k, most of the population didn't have money in the market. And that was probably a bad thing. But they had a lot of money saved up in cash. They had short-term income. They had emergency funds. They took it a step further. Why do you think they canned? Not because canning was so fun. Maybe some people thought it fun. But I still know people who do it today. It's not like they go, you know what I can't wait to do today? I'm going to go can some vegetables or fruits or whatever it is we put in cans now. It's not like it's this thing you really look forward to. You do it because it's a different type of emergency fund. Yeah, I get it. It's organic food. You know where it came from. But when you can to excess where you've got these shelves stockpiled with food, it's a different type of emergency fund. It's there because of the what if. What if the grocery stores close? What if this North Korea thing is real? What if the Russian thing turns out to be something different than what we think? I don't know. So we worry about those things. So canning food is like putting all this food on the shelves just in case. And back then they put all this money in the bank or on a piggy bank or in the couch, in the mattress. They're the ones who coined mattress money for just in case. They didn't worry about the amount of interest that those safe dollars weren't making. Because they knew it wasn't worth the risk. And so what's happened is we've started focusing rather on safer strategies. Rather than having a safety net, an emergency fund, I meet people all the time who are doing well. I can tell you right now of a couple who I met, I don't know, half a year ago, and started working with them, seven or eight hundred thousand in retirement dollars, and they had less than five thousand dollars in savings and checking. And when I asked them why, it was, well, why would we need it? Hmm. Well, what happens when you have an emergency? Well, we got the credit cards. Cool. And you've always been able to pay those. Yeah, no problem. You've got great income, though. Yeah, we got great income. What if you start charging up on the credit cards because things just start going, I don't know, bad. And at that same time, as things start to go as not planned, you also lose employment. And the income isn't what it once was. Do you think it's possible that some people who have always been okay with carrying some debt, that a few things happen and that debt becomes an insurmountable mountain? I'll tell you this, bankruptcies don't just happen to people who are stupid with money or bad people or unintelligent people. Bankruptcies happen all the time to people who were good people or are good people who just a few things went wrong in a row and and then we lose the motivation we lose the spirit and sometimes it's hard to keep fighting so today we're going to talk about do you want to pay down debts first or do you want to have a savings and you probably just put a little bit together what I'm going to tell you our first step we believe in you having five thousand dollars in savings and checking every opportunity I can um, get to talk to people about increasing your savings and checking we're going to take it because lower levels of saving increases cost of living let me say that again the less money you have in savings and checking the greater the cost it is to maintain the same quality of life because when you want to go buy something i was in the the store the other day i was at the um i was at the gas station getting fuel and i, I decided to stop and anyway so i go in and i watch over and over these people in front of me who are buying items, and each one, they're spending somewhere between 10 and $15, and they're buying one pack of cigarettes, the other guy bought, what was it? I guess it doesn't matter. You know, a couple different energy drinks, and jerky, and whatever. You know, and I was thinking about it, even just watching the guy buying the cigarettes. It, that's a very expensive habit, but it's a vice, and a lot of people have vices. Um, they're just different. I'm not familiar with the pricing of cigarettes but I have to imagine that it's more expensive to buy in a single pack than it is the the big box of them right but when you're living paycheck to paycheck the idea of if that one pack was seven bucks and you get I don't I don't know if you get 10 I'm maybe if you get 10 in a box I'm assuming that it's not 70 bucks it's maybe 60 bucks I, I don't know but I think it's still a valid point when you're living with lower levels of liquidity, they don't have that extra $100 or $200 to buy something in bulk, even if it's something you know you're going to use. They don't have the ability financially to be able to look forward and do some of those things. When when we're raising kids and we want to give them a great Christmas, so often we relate that to number of gifts. One of the things that tears me up every year, though, is right after Christmas, right after the first of the year, about the second week of the year, everything is cheap. But so many people are paycheck to paycheck. They can't buy next year's gifts right after they bought this year's gifts. And if they do, they put it on credit, and then the credit offsets any savings that they really actually were going to have. So what should we do first? Pay down debts or save? The answer there is save. We want to have $5,000 in savings and checking. I'm telling you that life starts to change when you have $5,000 in savings and checking. Little things like picking up next year's, a bunch of next year's Christmas gifts now, right after you bought this year's Christmas gifts because they're on sale. Presents. Um, Vices, right? Right? Cigarettes, I'm not telling you go out and smoke more cigarettes, but if you're gonna smoke cigarettes anyway Shouldn't you buy them at the most cost-effective way if you're gonna drink alcohol? Shouldn't you buy it in the most cost-effective way? But when we don't have a little bit extra savings, we're unable to do that and therefore it raises your cost of living So if you're working with an advisor and they're not talking about how much do you have for an emergency fund? I believe they're missing the boat. They're not they're spending all this time talking to you about the things they get paid on, the investments, the mutual funds. But they're not spending the time to help you in these other aspects of your life that are going to greatly influence your financial position heading into retirement and through retirement. They won't spend the time on that just because we're not paid on it. That doesn't make sense to me. And by the way, that's not most advisors. That's just some. And if you're working with one of those advisors that work in that capacity, I urge you, to get a second opinion, to let us help. We're in Grand Rapids, Norton Shores, uh, Holland, 5894004, that's 616, 589-4004. Go to one of our workshops. I believe that's one of the very best ways to get an introduction because they're at libraries. It's non-confrontational. Um, you never have to worry about, you know, having a one-on-one meeting then if you don't want to. Um, But give us a call, 616-589-4004. Go to one of the workshops or go online at Legacy Financial Network. That's LegacyFinancialNetwork.com. And we're going to take a quick break, then we'll be right back.
0: Mike Markey is full of information, but as you probably already know, he gets so excited to give out that information that he speaks at about 900 words per minute with gusts up to 1,300. Now's your chance to get that information at your own pace. Mike has written a book called Fireproof Your Retirement, which can be found on Amazon. It covers many of the same topics we covered during the show, including income planning, asset allocation, gifting, taxes, and much more. As you know, Mike is all about paying it forward. That is why 100% of the proceeds go to local fire departments. Once again, that's Fireproof Your Retirement by Michael
1: Markey, which can be found on Amazon.com. All right. And welcome back. You're listening to Fireproof Your Retirement. I am your host, Michael Markey. I want to thank everyone for joining us. It truly, I, I know I say this all the time, but it really is a pleasure being able to serve you in this capacity. So we're talking today, do you want to have savings first or pay down debt? And before the break, we talked about how lower lower levels of savings increases your cost of living. Pretty simple. Gave a couple analogies or examples of that. So lower levels of saving make everyday life more expensive. So we've got to start putting money away. Stop looking at, well, if I, if I you know, this $3,000 is sitting in the bank, it doesn't make me anything. It saves you. If you can pay your car insurance in full, that saves you on average 8 to 12%. 8 to 12%. That's not an I hope so number. If I put that in investment, I hope to make 8 to 12%. If I can pay something off though, or pay it in full and save 8 to 12%, that's an I know-so number. Always, 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 always take an I know-so number over an I hope-so number. So after we get the $5,000 in savings and checking, what do we do after that? Let's say that you've got some debts and they're sprinkled around. There's the student loan. There's the car loan. There's this, this, this. Now, mathematically, what I'm going to say next is wrong, but the way it shapes your behaviors is right, and it's worth doing it this way. I can tell you that because you know we don't work, although we host a radio show here, I don't You know, I'm not working and helping with people for a few minutes while they're on on the radio. In fact, obviously, like you've noticed, we don't take call-ins. we work with people for years. That's different. You get to see how things affect people. So Dave Ramsey has something he calls the debt snowball. Or I should say, you know, it came out before that, but he, you know, he made it famous. The debt snowball. Mathematically, it's flawed. Mathematically, it's wrong. Debt snowball means take your lowest debt regardless of interest. So regardless of the interest rate on that debt, you take the lowest one, you pay it off first, and then you take the money you were paying on that one, and you apply it to the next lowest one, and then you pay that one off, and then you take those two amounts that you're paying, and you put it to the next lowest, and then the next lowest, and the next lowest, regardless of interest rates. Mathematically, you should pick the highest interest rate. However, math doesn't trump behaviors. For example, if the long-term average of the stock market is 8%, and we can argue whether it's 10 or 12, it's just its not important for this conversation. If it's 8, though, and you're somebody who can't um, stomach the ups and downs, and you bail every time it goes down, you'll never get 8 because you keep getting in after it's had a period of recovery, and you keep getting out right when it's at its lowest. So mathematically, 8, 9% would make a lot over time. But if you don't have the stomach to stick through it, then behaviorally-wise, the math Is trumped. Well, maybe we shouldn't use that phrase anymore. (laughs) But so behaviors matter. This debt snowball works because you build momentum. If you were to try to if go run a mile today, if you haven't ran a mile in a decade, going out and trying to run it today is hard. You probably won't finish very strong, and tomorrow you'll feel like garbage. And it's going to be harder than to go out the next day, and to go out the next day, and to go out the next day, because you're getting more sore, more sore, and less motivated, less motivated, less motivated, because you don't see instant results. But, if you ran one lap, and then walked the next three, and then the next day, you ran a lap and a little bit more, and then walked the next three, and after a week, maybe you're running two laps, and after three weeks, it's three laps, and after a month, it's four laps, you're finally running the mile. What happened? You built confidence that you could do it. It's the same amount of pain. But you're building, it's in a way that builds confidence. Doing the debt snowball builds confidence. If you've never been able to pay off these debts on a consistent basis, you'll build confidence by taking the smallest one first. If you're somebody that's not a saver, which most people aren't, by by putting $5,000 away first, you build confidence. You're doing something you thought you could never do. So, once we get the 5000 then we're going to start the debt snowball, but we're not going to stop saving. What we're going to do is we're going to split the money that we were saving in half, and half still goes to saving, half goes against the debt. I'm okay even if you do 75% of the debt and 25% of the savings, no less than that. Meaning, if you were applying $200 a month to your emergency fund, it's $2,400 a year. It took you two years, two years to save that emergency fund. You can start reallocating $150 to your debt and only 50 more dollars to the emergency fund. But don't go below that threshold. So why would we want you to continue to save instead of paying off these debts with interest rates? The debts are 10%, your savings is one. Why? The math doesn't add up, but the behaviors do. If you've never saved $5,000 before, if you're at 5, then go to 10. If you've never been to 10, if you're at 10 and you've never been to 15, go to 15. There's a point at which we have enough in cash, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you've got less than $15,000 in cash, you're not at that point. So if you've never done those things, we want to gain some confidence for you and to get there. Why would we not want to then, though, reallocate all of those dollars that we're going to savings and go towards debt? Let me say it this way. Why on earth would you want to give up a, a... Habit you just made that took you a long time to make that you'd never had before you didn't have the habit Of putting money aside every month into savings and now over the course of six months a year year and a half two years We've developed that habit Why on earth would you give that up because paying off debt isn't the same as paying putting money in savings I meet people every day who are really 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 good debt payers most of America is good debt payers Most people are great at paying their debts If you don't pay your cell phone, what do they do? Click, they shut it off. You don't pay your visa due, what do they do? They call you. You don't pay your car payment, they take it away. People get really good at paying their debts. But are most people really good at putting money away? No. So we don't wanna give up that habit that you just spent all of that hard work developing just to pay off debts because mathematically that'd be the right way to go. Behaviorally wise though, You've gotten out of the habit of saving and every time you develop a habit that's hard to develop and you get rid of it though, when you develop something that's hard and you go through a bunch of pain to develop that habit, when you stop doing it, it's harder to get back on the horse. It's harder to get back on the program. Think of it like losing weight. The savings part of losing weight is like going to the gym. The paying off your debts part of losing weight is like eating less. Most people, what's the easier way when they say, oh, I'm going to start losing some weight, my pants are kind of tight. They talk about eating a little bit less, eating a little bit better. Being healthier takes what? Some exercise. You want to be healthier financially, you got to learn how to put money away each month. But if you start working out and it takes some pain, it takes some time. It's a habit. It's a hard habit to form. So if you start working out and then after a year you give it up because you're like, you know, I'm at my, I'm at my goal weight, I'm not going to work out anymore. And then after a few years, you're ba- back another 10, 20 pounds above your goal weight. Is it easy just to get back to the gym and start running miles again? Or is it more painful? Is it easier just to put it off? Go, I'll do it later. Saving is exactly the same way. There's no short-term consequence or accountability to not saving. There's no short-term consequence to not going to the gym. There's immediate consequence to not paying your debts. They call you, they bug you, they go to your door, they send you mail, they send you certified mail, they send the postman to get your signature to just say, I got the mail that says I should have paid but didn't pay. There's immediate, not immediate, but there's short term consequences for not paying your debts. Are there short term consequences to not uh, uh, controlling your eating? Absolutely. Go to B-dubs three nights a week and have a bunch of beer and a bunch of wings. Love B-dubs, no offense B-dubs, but you do that and then what happens? You're bloated, you don't feel so good, you're a little sluggish, you're a little tired. There's short-term consequences to eating like crud. Go to McDonald's every day for the next week, see how you feel at the end of the week. Stop paying your cell phone for the next three months, stop paying your car payment, stop paying your visa. See how you feel. Short-term consequences exist in both of those. Don't save, don't go to the gym, no short-term consequences. Don't give up a habit that was so hard to develop. We're going to take a quick break, last break for today, and I want to thank everyone for being with us. Quick break, then we'll be right back. The prospect
0: of retirement can be exciting and scary at the same time. At Legacy Financial Network, we have found many people either approaching or currently in retirement fail to truly maximize some of the benefits offered to them, primarily Social Security. What is it? How does it work? It is not simply a benefit that you can start receiving at age 62. Because these decisions are so important, my firm has assembled an informational packet on Social Security. If you would like a complimentary copy of my Social Security Maximization, please call our office today at 616-589-4004
1: or visit us at LegacyFinancialNetwork.com. All right, and welcome to the last segment here for Fireproof Your Retirement. Thank you, everyone, and I appreciate it. I know it's a financial show and we got to talk about money, but people fight, argue about money all the time. It breaks up relationships, something that has no meaning, causes so much pain. So we want to change the way you look at money, change your life. Simple as that. So we're going to end today. We've talked about saving. We've talked about paying off debts. Uh, I think that's a good first two steps. Five grand put away. Then we're going to reallocate half or up to three quarters of that uh, amount you're saving each month towards debt. But we want to continue to save because it's a habit. It's not a good, easy habit to develop. And why would you get rid of it after working so hard to develop it? One question that I get a lot, though, is. How do I know when to stop pinching pennies? How do I know when enough is enough? How do I know when I've got enough money? And I've met with people in the past where they'll say, you know, Mike, my advisor, let's call him George. George tells me I've got tons of money. I've got plenty of money. So I think I'm fine. And I'll look at him and go, well, what math did George use to do that? When did George tell you to take Social Security? What tax rate did George have you at? Did they figure those things in? How long does George have you living? Did George have you buying cars in this plan? Do you even have a written plan? And they go, boy, well, that was a lot of questions. Maybe you should have let me answer. No, I'm kidding, I don't ask him that quickly. But when is enough? How do we know when we have enough? You have to do the math. So often we hear this pinnacle, this amount, this, once you have a million, it's enough. And I think that's at least finally starting to fade. I've got, I've worked with people where 200,000 is more than enough. They've got good pensions, good social security. And they're not spenders. Even though they can afford to do things, they don't want to. And I've met people where they've got a million and a half, two million. And they've got to curb their spending. It doesn't make them bad people. It doesn't make them even spenders necessarily. It's just relevant to what you're used to. I've had people where they're used to over $200,000 of income a year. So even coming down into retirement down to one fifty dollars seems like a pay cut. And I've had people who are used to $30,000 of income a year, and we get them onto Social Security and their pension, and it's 45 they are going, how does this happen that I'm going to have more money in retirement than I had working? I go, well, it's just math. So here's the deal. How much is enough? You've got to do the math. Just saying that, well, you got 900000 That should be plenty. I was working with somebody the other day, $800,000 of assets. They said, well, George says we have plenty. I go, cool. How? Well, what do you mean, how? How are you taking it out? When are you taking it out? How much do you need? Well, we want to retire soon. Cool. So you're going to need this money right away. You're retiring pretty early. If you live 30 years, is it going to be enough? Well, boy, we didn't think of it that way. He just said it was enough. You know, one of the problems too, that, um, I can't say that this is an absolute, like I said earlier, the one, you know, we not, I'm not a big fan of, um, blanket savings, but if an advisor just looks at you and says, well, that's, yeah, that's a ton of money. In my opinion, what it means is that you're one of their larger clients when they act like what you have is a big amount, you could say it's respectful. And maybe that's the case. My opinion, though, is they do that because you've got a lot more money than they could ever see themselves having. You've got a lot more money than the other people they're working with. And so they look at that amount, and they go, boy, that's a ton. How could you ever go through that amount? But it's all relative. If you've got, you know, $10 million of assets like some of our clients do, and you're taking out $400,000 a year, Ten does doesn't sound as large. If you've got $100,000 of assets, like some of our clients do, but you only need to take out money here and there for unforeseen expenses, or money here and there for maybe vacations, or money here and there for wants, not needs, but wants, then that's probably plenty. So just making a blanket statement that, hey, this is a big amount, you'll be fine. You've got to do the math. The math with retirement planning. Starts with income it starts with income We already know is there if you've got a pension if you're walking this journey by yourself to determine when you should take your pension I think it's a mistake I was working with a couple here a year ago And they had this odd piece to their pension. It's unusual but when we found it, it changed the math. It changed the way they should take their benefits. Their pension said, if you take it as a um, a joint benefit, where the spouse gets the same amount, so instead of getting two grand a month, you each get you get seventeen hundred a month. But if you pass first, your wife will still because it was a husband. Your wife will still get seventeen hundred. Now that's one that not everybody does because they go, well, what happens if I live longer? Well, this particular pension did it this way, that if the husband were to live longer than the wife, then the benefit would jump back up as though he had taken a single election. That's available in some pensions. But unless you know to look for it, are you going to see it? How much great advice or good advice, adequate even, advice are you getting on that pension within at your employer? Why wouldn't the advisor help guide you on that? Retirement planning starts with income. The other source of income we should be starting the conversation with is social security. When to take it. Telling everyone to take it at 62 or everyone at 70 or everyone at full retirement age. Everyone's situation is different. There's no, there are rule of thumbs. But There's no unequivocal formula that just says, punch in this, 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 take it here. If life was that easy then Social Security would have some kind of kiosk there that would you'd put your thumbprint in there and go, you are, you know, Mike Markey, you're gonna to live to this long, um, you're gonna die on this date, so take your benefits this way. We can mathematically say the best way to take it, but if that changes the way you have to retire, then we can't actually tell you to take it that way. Because we don't know how long you'll live. But if you're working this journey alone, if you're walking this journey alone, rather, and you're trying to figure out when to take your Social Security, when to take your pension, Are you able to factor in the taxes? Are you able to factor in the internal um, increases to those benefits? Some of you are, but most are not. So we need to have guidance there. If you're walking that journey alone, then I encourage you to get some help. If for whatever reason your advisor is not helping you with those things, go to them. Say, George, what gives? I'm paying you all this money on these dollars. Why aren't you helping me on these dollars? Because to say your Social Security or your pensions aren't important or aren't as important as your other dollars, that's putting you at a big, huge disadvantage. And if you're not getting that help or if you're sitting there going, you know what, why am I the one who has to go to George and tell him, hey, I need help with this? Shouldn't George be the one guiding me on this? That's what we pay him or her for. Then we can help. I encourage anyone that's thinking that, go to one of our workshops. Because if you're sitting there going, I just don't know, would I like them or not? Are they a good fit for me? How do I know that they're going to, you know, sound and do the same things they're saying they're going to do? How do I know it's not just going to be the same crud that I got now? Go to a workshop. You can sign up online. You can call our staff. And if you never want an appointment after that, cool. I mean, we hope you do. We want to help you. But if you don't, no harm, no foul. Give us a call, 616-589-4004. we got workshops anywhere from Grand Rapids over to Holland, up even north of Muskegon, I think as far north as White Lake, and then over um, into the Rockford area, that big square. So give us a call. Go to a workshop, 616-589-4004. That's 589-4004. Or find us on the web. You can sign up there too, LegacyFinancialNetwork.com. Until next week, I am your host, Michael Markey, and this has been another episode of Fireproof Your Retirement.
0: This has been Fireproof Your Retirement. For more information, contact Michael J. Markey, Jr. of Legacy Financial Network. Call toll-free at 855-LF-NETWORK or online at LegacyFinancialNetwork.com.